We live in a world at war. We don't see it. Uh, we don't pay attention to it. We don't look at it. And I'm sure some of you are, are sitting there and disturbed by that last scene. To that I say, good. You should be. And yet this thought is exactly what the evil one, Satan, that would be probably the last time I refer to him in that manner, because I think the evil one, the liar, the deceiver is a better description, is saying exactly what Salieri said there at the end. From now on, God, we are enemies, you and I. You are unjust, unfair, unkind, as his experience of God is. I will block you, I swear it. I will hinder and harm your creation as far as I am able. I will ruin your incarnation. And this is the world that we live in. The evil one who has set himself against God because when he looks at you, he sees God's creation, his incarnation, the creativity of an all-loving, all-powerful God that has created each one of you and he is dead set on ruining you at every turn. And yet we live as though we're in a time of peace. You see... I don't think that we always see this world that is at war. I can't tell you how often I've made mistakes driving Brooklyn to school and say something, and then it just blows up into something bigger. And as I drop her off and I drive away, and I think to myself, man, you blew that. You messed that up. Again, you always do this, Aaron. And then the following thought, you're a horrible parent. You know, you don't deserve that. And, and how often does that happen with our children or, or our spouses or somebody that we care about? And then it goes even further. You're not worthy of them. You're so stupid. How can you continue to make these mistakes over and over again? And it is the evil one in our ears lying to us about who we are. Not just about mistakes that we've made. We've all made mistakes, but he attacks us at our identity. John Eldridge, in a book called Waking the Dead, says this, Because we do not live as though we are at war, we just assume that these impressions are our own. We accept them and agree with them. We live under them like slaves under a taskmaster. Listen carefully. Any movement toward freedom and life, any movement toward God or others will be opposed. Marriage, friendship, beauty, rest, the thief wants it all. In John 10.10 10, it says, the thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And yet we don't give him much thought. You see, we live in America in 2018. Life is pretty good. We don't want for much, really. We're not often wondering where our next meals are coming from for the most of us. We're not fearful of somebody walking in and executing us because of our faith. We live in a place that we have gotten comfortable. And yet, when you read through Scripture, we see over and over again that this is not the world that we live in. Earlier in the fall, I spent some time, some interesting time in the woods with a number of veterans. And on a, on a side note, for those of you who have served, thank you. I'll come back around. Mm. Um, they're expressing to me how coming back from a world really at war, 
that they see even more so that they are still at war, that there are spiritual forces at work, and that there's a battle continuing to take place. And they are more readily easy to recognize it and to see it. And it was interesting to talk with them and see their perspective on things. And as you look through uh, Scripture, through the Old Testament, New Testament, in the Revelation, these are the kinds of pictures that we see in Daniel There's a moment that uh, Daniel says that he, the evil one, shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant, but the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. I love out of the book of Daniel, there's a a time that he prays, and he's praying for help, and when he does so, uh, things don't happen exactly as he thought in the timing that he thought. I'm going to read, it's not going to be up on the screen, out of chapter 10, verse 11. You should go and read chapters 9 and 10. They're fascinating. Uh, says, and he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright. For now I have been sent to you, and when he had spoken this to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for the first, from, from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. He's speaking to an angelic being. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me for 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia. And so he describes to him, Daniel, when you prayed, I was dispatched immediately, but I've spent the last three weeks in battle with the prince of Persia. He's saying, I am in a spiritual battle, and the only one that was there to help me was the other prince, the archangel Michael. And then again, I believe in verse 18, he says, Again, one having the appearance of man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man greatly loved, fear not, peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. As he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, Do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to the fight against the prince of Persia, and when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece, another one of the demonic forces, will be coming to you, but I tell you that it is inscribed in the book of truth that there is none who contends by my side except Michael, your prince, this other angelic being, and this is clearly outlined in the Old Testament, so why would we think that the world is any differently? going on when we have our eyes open and we see all that's around us and yet at another level at another realm there is so much still taking place first peter describes it peter describes it this way says be sober-minded be watchful your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour resist him Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. This is something that's happening all over the place. Your adversary, the evil one, the liar, he's prowling around like a roaring lion. Did you guys see this story in North Bend, Washington last week? Eight days ago, a mountain lion attacked two bicyclists. And he attacked them, and he says, one of them said, at one point in time, my friend's entire head was inside of his jaws. And they fought him off. One was even using the bicycle to block him from the mountain lion, and and the lion ran off. And they were brushing themselves off, and, and they were collecting themselves, and the lion attacked again, ultimately killing 
his friend and dragging him into the woods. And when the police got there, the lion was still standing over his prey. What a picture that we have. The evil one is prowling around like a roaring lion just looking for somebody to devour, and he's looking to devour you. Well, that is if you're taking a stand for God. If you're living your life for the, the, the plan that God has for you, then you are on the evil one's radar, and he is prowling around. That was the first death in Washington in 100 years, it says, and yet there are attacks all the time. In Colorado, where I lived, we hear about mountain lion attacks over and over again. These things are real, and the evil one is waiting to pounce on you. And in the end, Revelation chapter 12, verse 7, it says, Now a war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against a dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, and the ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the world, he was thrown down to earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. So here in the book of Ephesians, as we get to the end, in the final moments, we come to this thought of, because of who you are, when you have a right understanding of your identity in Christ, that we have been adopted, that we are children of God, and you start living that out, you must know this, Paul says, that you will be under attack. It's coming, so be prepared for it. Turn to Ephesians chapter 6 with me. We'll start in verse 10 here, where he says, finally, I'm wrapping this up, he says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Remember, our identity is all about being in Christ. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers, this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. He's saying this is the war that is taking place. Even now, prepare yourselves. Be strengthened in the Lord. The same way uh, that we see in the book of Daniel, it says that he was strengthened in the power of the Lord. Be ready for this battle that is waging because it is waging all around you. But it's not against humans. You can't use strategies that we use. We can't reason with these dark forces. It's not something we can talk our way out of. The fight is happening. Verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor. Uh, I lost my place. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in that evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore. Put on the whole armor of God. We're going to get into what that looks like in just a second. But he says so that you can stand your ground. Stand in the ground that you have been given, in the place that you have been set, in the certain circumstances within your family, within your workplace, within your community. Stand firm, and when you've done everything that you can do to stand, stand some more, is what he's saying. But not in your strength. We look at that and go, how can I, after I've done everything I can to do to stand, continue to stand, it's within his strength. Hold the ground whole ground that he's given you. He's not talking about charging forth. He's not talking about marching with, with his army. He's saying, I want you to stand. Now, now, movement will come. 
You know, we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But your job is to stand and be ready for the movement that God brings to you. James 4, 7 states this. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. It's the same word when it says to withstand, and then he says to resist the devil. He's saying if you do this, then, then you uh, have the authority that has been given to you through Christ. And so the devil will flee from you when you resist him. Let's look at the armor a little bit more closely. Verse 14, stand therefore, having fastened the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace in all circumstances, take up the shield, which you, uh, which, which you can extinguish all of the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. You see, our weapons are found in our identity. He's saying, be reminded of who you are. You are children of truth now. Stop listening to the lies of the evil one. Stand in the truth of who you are and who you've learned in Scripture. You're in a right relationship with God. Remember your righteousness, not because of anything that you have done, but because of what Christ has done on the cross, that you were in a right relationship. Be reminded of this. Be reminded of the peace that you have, that you have been given even in a world that is at war. He says also, remember your faith. Remember your salvation, that you have been saved, that your evil and the wrong things that you've done in the past will not define your eternity. You have salvation. You have the Spirit living inside of you. You have access to the Word of God. This is the armor of God. He's saying be reminded of these kinds of things. That first one, though, is the belt of truth. You see, when we get sucked into most things like self-doubt and depression and anger, it's based upon the lies of the evil one. Because that's what he does, just like when I think to myself, man, you messed that up again. You know, he, he's lying to you. He's always whispering in your ear that you're not good enough, that you're not smart enough, that the mistakes that you made last week or, or a decade ago were defining your future. He's lying to you over and over again about who you are. And he says, be prepared by, by girding your loins with the belt of truth. Then he says, with the breastplate of righteousness. See, when we are in a right relationship with God, it protects our heart. It protects uh, our vitals. You know, when you're in a, a fight with your, your spouse or, or somebody close to you and, and you know in those moments that you're just supposed to pray, but there's something inside of you that just won't allow it, maybe it's just me. You know, again, this is because our, our relationship is not right. We're not in a right relationship with our spouse or with somebody close or with God. And because of this righteousness not being in place, this right relationship, we have resistance to go to the one that we should be going to in prayer. In Isaiah, it's an interesting picture of God himself. It says that he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. God himself, as he is preparing to go to battle for those who have come back into a relationship with him, for those that have humbled themselves and come to God, and it says that he armors up. 
He puts on the breastplate of righteousness. It actually also talks about by his own arm, he brings salvation. He is enough in himself. But this picture of God armoring up for battle to go to fight for you and for me is an amazing one. And yet, we need to remember that we can armor up as well. It goes on, the shoes of readiness of the gospel of peace. I like to think of it this way, that we need to be ready to wage peace in wartime. You see, we've been given peace. We have been given righteousness and connection with God, and we need to be prepared to bring that to others. Be ready. This is kind of that movement part. When God opens the door, when God clears the line, be ready to bring peace into the war zone because there's others that have been dying and been injured. You need to bring the peace of God that you have in yourself to others who have been hurt and who have been injured. Then he goes on to describe the shield of faith that can extinguish the flaming darts of the devil. Now, the shields at that point in time that they used, they were called skeetums, and there's actually a picture, hopefully, of them up here. And, and they were large, much like a door, and they were tall, and, and uh, at one point in time they were wood, but then wrapped in leather because that leather would help to extinguish flaming arrows that were, were shot at the Roman soldiers. And so they would have this thing, this shield in front of them. Now, it was somewhat cumbersome, uh, and it did not necessarily allow them to fight all that well as individuals. But the thing about these shields is that they were never supposed to fight as individuals. They would get into their ranks. There's another picture of how these shields would fit together and come together in something, a formation that was called a phalanx. And they would come together and they were stronger as a team, as they were side by side. And there would be shields across the front and the sides. They would even uh, cover shields over top so that arrows that were coming over would protect the entire phalanx. And, And as somebody was injured, they would fall down and they would be absorbed into the body and somebody else would seamlessly and fluidly take their place. And they fought as one. And you know what you call somebody, what they called somebody that was outside of the phalanx, that would go out on their own and fight? They called them victims. (laughs) And yet, in the church, we have the hardest time, and I mean the church as the people, not this building, relying on one another. We say, no, I'm the exception. I, I can do this outside of relationship with others. You know what we call you? We call you victims. Because eventually you're going to fall. You can't carry this cumbersome shield and do this on your own. It was never intended that way. We need to be there together, shield to shield to shield, fighting together. And as one of us gets injured because it's inevitably going to happen, they just get absorbed into the body. And somebody else stands up front to fight in your spot so that the rest can take care of you, so that they can bring healing to you, so that they can be an encouragement to you. And yet we go out on our own all the time. That we're not willing to let people into our lives. And believe me, I get it. I'm a very private person by nature. I would rather just do this thing on my own. But, but I see that when I do that, it, it's not healthy. And, and I end up hurting and injured. And then I'm out there by myself. Do you wonder why we are always pounding you about community groups? We're always talking to you about getting plugged into a community group. Be in a place where people really know you in your life. Because no, in no time, in no place other than that, in that true community, we have people that when you're injured can come alongside and take care of you. We've been talking about this thing called realm. 
which is somewhat an information system for our church. And we talked about the app. We talked about you can get to it through a computer and put your information in. But you know what? It's about connecting people in relationship. Already, in just the last few weeks, we've had plenty of opportunities for our, our congregation to care for one another, to pray for one another as people have had surgeries, to send notes of encouragement to others. You know, we were up at an elders' retreat, and we were away, and, and I didn't ask permission for this, but hopefully it's all right, and, uh, and Matt's uh, son was having some issues with, with getting oxygen into his blood, and they couldn't figure it out, and it was scary, and we were kind of separated uh, from Tiffany and, and the rest of his family. But you know what? As they put this prayer request out there on Realm, her community group and others came and took care of her and took care of Braden and brought them a meal and were there. Do you need rides? Do you need, what do you need? And they came around in a moment that Matt was physically separated. And so when we talk about this Realm thing, you know, it's not just about having your phone number and address somewhere. This is a way that we can communicate. We had a student uh, that, that just found out he may not be able to go and play baseball because of an injury. And, and as a senior in high school and having plans of what he was going to do next, and yet we've been able to put that out there to hundreds of people so that we can be an encouragement to him, so that we can absorb him into the body in a time that he's not able to fight at his, his best strength. So if you're not in realm Get out your phone now while I'm talking for the rest of this and look up on, I'm not joking, like, do it. It's fine. On Realm is the app, uh, and the passcode is Florence Church. Just sign yourself in right now or, or catch me after service. We're going to have people that can help you. And again, this isn't about keeping beads on you. This is about helping you to be a part of the body that we can be an encouragement to one another. And if you're not in a community group, write it down right now. Just that communication. It's right here. There's never one up here, but there's one right here today. <laughs> Write it down. Get plugged in. Be in relationship with one another. Be willing to, to give of yourself so that others can help you and take care of you so that you're not a victim. In verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 21, this is what this is all in context of. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In the last number of weeks, we looked at relationships between children and parents and husbands and wives and employers and employees. And, and this is how we're supposed to be in relationship with one another in a healthy way. And when you're in healthy relationships, Satan hates that. And you're going to come under attack. And so he continues on and he says, put on the helmet of salvation. Now, this thought of salvation is a key one that we have to remember ultimately, no matter what we do in a day, no matter what mistakes that we make, that when we're in a relationship with Jesus, we have our eternity set. And so he describes it under this helmet of salvation because if a death blow is going to come to a soldier, it's going to come because you're hit in the head. That's the easiest death blow. And he says, remember when things are really tough that your relationship with Jesus is unfaltering, that it cannot be stolen away from you. And the sword of the Spirit last. The Word of God. Not simply written, although it is excellent that we have a copy of scriptures that they're so readily available to us through, through our phones, through our computers, and, and so cheap. I mean, you can buy these at the dollar store now, but in the time that this was written, the Word of God was mostly expressed verbally. And they could go to where there was a scroll and, and learn from it, but they were learning so that they could take it and speak the Word of God to others. And so even when it talks about it here, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, this is about spoken word. 
speaking scripture out loud, praying scripture over your family and over yourself. And that's kind of the thought right here in this section, as he says at the end of this, uh, praying at all times in the spirit with a prayer, with prayers and supplication. You see, as Paul was writing these verses, it says in just a second, the next verse, he says that he was in chains. And so as he's in chains, he's possibly and probably physically chained to a Roman soldier. When he's trying to bring an illustration to his readers in Ephesus, he uses an illustration that would be understandable and recognizable to them. And so he uses this picture of armor. Be prepared in all of these ways. And as much as we forget that we are at war, as we're lulled into comfort, especially in America in 2018, I think we just as easily forget the one that fights for us. In the book of Joshua, just before they're going to take the city of Jericho and follow God into the promised land, this is what it says, Joshua chapter 5. And when Joshua was, was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and look and behold, a man was standing before him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said, are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Did you hear that? The commander of the angel armies. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face and the earth and worshiped him and said, what does my Lord say to his servant? Can you imagine being face to face with the angel of the Lord? The angel of the Lord. Again, I talk about this. This is a theme through the Old Testament that I just absolutely love. There's often an angel of the Lord that comes, but when it talks about the angel of the Lord, he speaks for God himself. It is the pre-incarnate Jesus there, and he's holding a sword drawn, ready for battle. And he's saying, I'm about to take you in to this land that I promised you so long ago, and I'm here to fight for you. And then David in a time that he was told not to take a census, really because he, the reason to take a census at wartime was to see how much of an army you had, what kind of a force that you had, and God's saying, don't worry about it. I don't want you to do the math on this battle. I want you to trust me, but David took a census anyway. He didn't trust. He, he needed to understand in his own human mind. And in First Chronicles, it says this, and David lifted his eyes after he had taken the census, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing between earth and heaven, and in his hand, a drawn sword stretched out over Jerusalem, and David and the elders, clothed in sackcloth, fell on their faces. Can you imagine this? Now, when I see this picture as it describes the angel of the Lord standing between earth and heaven, I don't see a six-foot-three guy floating in the sky. I don't know what you see when you close your eyes and think about that picture. And an angel, the angel of the Lord, stood between heaven and earth. Imagine that. Just what would that look like? Filling the sky with his sword drawn. This is the God. This is the army of the one who is fighting for us. Uh, hopefully that helps just a little bit in verse 10 when it says to be strong in the Lord and in his strength. That becomes easier. And as you spend time in God's word, understanding how he's operated through the centuries, that he is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, we get more confidence in this picture. And remember that he has given us authority also. Jesus in Luke chapter 10, he said to them, 
I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. You see, I think we forget the truth of the word. We're unaware of the battle that's raging around us, and we're just as happy to to live in peace, and yet Satan is coming after you. And he wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy your confidence in God. He wants to ruin your relationships. Are any of you in a fight right now with a family member? Somebody that you refuse to talk to or won't talk to you? That's the evil one coming at you. And when you're unready, when you're not armored up, you're not prepared to fight in this. He wants to strip those relationships away from you. Are you having difficulties at work with, with other employees? He's wanting to ruin your joy and your happiness. He wants to steal and kill and destroy us. But in him, it says this, to stand. The first thing is this, to stand in his strength. Don't rely on your own. Don't try to figure it out by yourself. Go to him in prayer. Stand in his strength. Ask him to strengthen you and to give you wisdom and to ask him to give you the strength to pick up the phone and call that family member that you haven't talked to in a year and a half. Give, ask for the wisdom to have the right words to come to them humbly. And even if they're wrong and you're right, isn't that always the way? Get over it. You know, Rely on God to rebuild those relationships. Stand with his weapons. They're his weapons. He, is, he has armed us with his truth, with his righteousness, with his uh, grace and peace. Stand with his armor, fighting his battle. Remember, it's not your battle to fight. It's not for you to come up with strategies to win this thing. It's his battle. You just need to stay faithful to him. Stand with one another in phalanx with one another in this battle together with other believers. Give yourselves over to understanding who other people are and risking in relationship uh, uh, so that we have people to fight with. And remember that we're standing in a war that's already won. This thing's over. There's plenty of battles still. There's plenty of battles that we're going to have to fight in day after day until Jesus comes back, and yet the war is already won. Verse 18, he closes this section. He says, uh, To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me that my words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So pray. Pray for one another. Pray for each other. Pray for your leadership. Because we're under attack and we're trying to help you guys and to come alongside you and yet we need your prayer and so we ask for that. 
But I want to close with this thought out of Romans chapter 8, 37. It says this, In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither life nor death nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's pray. God, I thank you that, uh, that you are fighting this battle for us, God, that you have won the war already. Allow us just to consider uh, these words now that we can, this week, maybe for the first time ever, or the first time in a long time, just pray these words over ourselves and be reminded of, of our hope and our peace and the salvation that you have granted us so that we can stand in your strength in this battle. God, open our eyes to it. Help us to become more aware of, of how you're leading us. And God, just uh, continue to reveal yourself in so many ways through others, God, through your word, God, through listening to music or just sitting and watching the ocean, God, allow us to see you in all of it. God, you are amazing and we worship you alone today. In Jesus' name, amen. This time of communion.